Good morning, church. The person who wrote that song, Face to Face, and I didn't choose that hymn, but it's very appropriate to what I'm speaking on today, is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, when we shall see him face to face. And it also uses the word raptured in a different context than we normally think of the rapture. So this morning I'm going to speak on... um, Prophecy and the rapture. Because there is a gentleman who is telling everybody that next Sabbath, these pews are going to be all empty. Not just a few of them, but all of them. Because God's people are going to be raptured secretly to meet the Lord in the air. How many of you have heard about that teaching? May 21. So I'm going to address that briefly this morning and talk about what the true rapture is really all about. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to be with us. Bless everybody that's here this morning, Lord. I believe that you've brought them here. It's not by accident that they're here and that they're wanting to hear your voice speak to them. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. May he dwell in each one of us here. May he bless And make your word come alive this morning. For we ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Take a Bible. There's Bibles in the pews if you need a Bible. And we're turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now it will be on the screen as well. And we're going right near the end of chapter 5. I will give you the page reference for the Bible in the pew. And we are on page 1841. 1841. I'm going to be reading verses 19 through 21. And the word of the Lord says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. When people make prophetic utterances... Could be somebody here this morning who will do that. Some think preachers have taken over the role of the prophet. Sometimes that's true, sometimes maybe not. But whenever prophetic statements are made, the Lord said this, thus says the Lord, or whatever, all of these prophetic statements or writings have to be tested. It is not enough that a sincere individual or even a sincere holy person stands up and makes prophetic statements and God's people can just nod their heads and say, well, yeah, it could be so, maybe uh, it's the, at least the Lord is speaking through him or whatever. I've seen too many things in my own brief ministry to know that everything has to be tested 
and it has to be tested by the word of God. Amen? So, we have Harold. Harold Camping predicting that next Sabbath, May 21, there will be something called a secret rapture. Of course, he's not the first to make statements like that. Some of us have been Christians long enough to know the prophecies of Hal Lindsey, sold millions and millions of books. Now, I don't know how many Christians believe in a secret rapture. I know there's plenty that don't. Not, not just Seventh-day Adventists, but there's plenty of others that do not believe in a secret rapture. But the very fact that millions of books are sold, Tim LaHaye, even more so, books and a movie, and, and one of the, the latest one that's in the news, as I mentioned, is Harold Camping. One of our writers started their article on the secret rapture this way. An airline pilot relaxes in the cockpit of his Boeing 747 flying over the Atlantic towards London's Heathrow Airport, but at the moment his mind isn't on flying. Uh-oh. These pilots have a hard time concentrating, don't they? It's on his gorgeous senior flight attendant for whom he feels a powerful physical attraction. Suddenly, he has to see her now. So leaving his first officer in charge of the plane, he exits the cockpit, but what he finds is the last thing he'd expected. She grabs him, claws at his arms, presses her face into his chest. She's weeping. She's terrified. People are missing, she says. They're just gone. The pilot is incredulous, but a few moments of checking persuade him that this is true. People are screaming, leaping from their seats, trying to find their missing friends and loved ones, and suddenly the penny drops. It clicks. He knows what's happened. It's the rapture. And he's been left behind. That essentially is what you have in Tim LaHaye's, he actually called the left behind series. And it's amazing to me that Christians who by and large all believe the Lord is coming back, that a certain segment of Christianity can divide this coming of Jesus and have into two. One section is this secret rapture, and then seven years later, the coming of the Lord in glory. Now, that may not be the way that Harold Camping explains it, but there is this separation between the, the rapture of God's people and the coming of the Lord. Biblically, I do not find that. So the scripture says that we've looked at this morning that uh, we should not put out the Spirit's fire. We are not to treat prophecies with contempt. I imagine in the early Christian church, if you read 1 Corinthians, that in their house churches, they had 
numerous people who were prophesying. It was not an unusual thing. With Seventh-day Adventists, we think it's unusual in the sense that, well, it was in one person, Ellen White, in the 19th century. Biblically, prophecy was all over the place. Many in the Old Testament prophesied, and in the New Testament, lots and lots of Christians. And if ever you're trying to understand the relationship with, between the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, because there it's dealt with extensively. This obviously was an issue in the early Christian church. Not that people should not speak in tongues, and certainly from our text this morning, not that they should not prophesy, but that everything has to be done in, an, in a way that God is glorified in an orderly way and in, in a way uh, that enhances worship and doesn't detract from worship. So a Seventh-day Adventist who do believe strongly in the gift of prophecy, we do not feel that these gifts were just for the first century. Some Christians do believe that. Uh, we believe that the gifts of God are needed to build up the church through the centuries until the Lord comes. Right? Are you with me this morning? Or you are like the pilot sleeping in the cockpit? Now, if we do not believe in this secret rapture, where would we go in Scripture to give a different picture of the rapture? And by the way, the word rapture is taken from a Greek phrase translated into Latin, and from Latin, the English, we get the English word rapture, just so you know that. So, Seventh-day Adventists, in a sense, believe in a rapture, but not a secret one. So, where would you go in Scripture? You can speak to me this morning. Where would you go in Scripture to show that the rapture of God's people is not a secret affair? Where would you go? Okay, Revelation 1-7. Somebody read Revelation 1-7. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 1. Couldn't be easier to find that. Verse 7. Who has it? Besides me. Okay, thank you. So that is a very, very clear text. Who is uh, he coming with the clouds? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, or as it goes on to say in the next verses, one like a son of man. It's a picture like we have in Daniel uh, chapter 7. Okay, so that, that's, a, that's a clear, clear passage there. Where else would we go? Aha, you're doing it in context. Very good. So go to 1 Thessalonians. What chapter? Chapter 4. And this actually is where the rapture verse is in verse 17. So when we get to verse 17, pay, pay close attention when, when we read 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse, um, let's back up to verse 13, and I'll give a little bit of, of context here. 
in the Thessalonian congregation, there must have been wrong understanding of truth. Maybe Paul had not really been able to uh, give these people as much instruction on last day events as he would like. We don't really know. There are certain reasons why Paul could not go there. He says that Satan hindered him and, and other reasons. But we do know that there was ignorance amongst the church members on end time events. And of course, the big emphasis is Jesus is coming soon. That is very clear in the New Testament. But then you'd have uh, maybe a, a child or a mom and dad that would die. Well, Jesus hasn't come yet. And they've died. What's going to happen with them? So there was this ignorance. There was this confusion. An actual discouragement. So one of the reasons that Paul wrote this is not just for instruction, but also to encourage as well. So let's go back to verse 13 of chapter 4. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. That's a metaphor for death. Or to grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's Calvary. That's the resurrection. Amen? Praise God for that. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus... He will complete the work, those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, it's interesting that he says, we who are still alive. At least in this verse, it seems that Paul was ready for an imminent return of Jesus. We who are still alive and who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And here's the interesting verses now. For the Lord himself will come down from where? Heaven. With a loud command. Does that sound something quiet? Loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, the living believer will be caught up together. That's the phrase right there that the secret rapture is taken from. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these. These are words that you hear at funerals. And you probably don't connect them, if you're a typical Seventh-day Adventist, with this teaching on the secret rapture. And of course, if you read these verses in their context and maybe even look at parallel passages like the one in Revelation and I'll show you another one, Matthew 24. First book in the New Testament, Matthew 24. Now, of course, most of you know this is a long chapter on the coming of Jesus Christ and signs of the end of the age. But look at verse 30 and 31. And notice how similar the language of Paul is in Thessalonians. And that's not unusual. We, we have new teachings from Paul. But often Paul is mouthing the words of Jesus and giving them maybe a broader meaning. Do you remember Jesus could not tell everything to his disciples? He says some things have to come later. And they came later through the prophets such as Paul. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man, it's a, this is a Jesus' favorite phrase for himself, coming on the clouds of the sky. They will see it. 
with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a trumpet call. And they will gather his elect. Who are the elect? The ones who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Whether they be dead in Christ or living in Christ. Is elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now in the light of Matthew 24 verse 30 and 31, and in light of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, very similar language, could you ever come to the conclusion of a secret rapture? No. So something has been imposed on the text and on the thinking of Christians. Historically, we know that the teaching, the secret rapture, came from uh, the time of the 19th century, and through two men, Schofield and Darby, the Schofield Reference Bible, some of you have it in your library, uh, was put together. And it was a study Bible. I'm using a study Bible this morning. I'm encouraging you to use a study Bible. If you don't have one, buy one. For $30, $40, you should be able to get a good study Bible. It's one of the most cost-effective ways of understanding the Word of God. In fact, the Adventists have recently put one out called the Andrews Study Bible, which uh, I'm encouraging you to purchase, and some of you have. And if you'd like to see um, a good study Bible, then, then talk to me and let me know, and I can give you photocopies, and you can look at the study notes. They're not all created equal. And what we believe, well, we'll just take this page here. The red type here is the Word of God, Scripture, this is inspired, right? The study notes underneath, which are quite brief here, are not necessarily inspired. So we have to make that distinction. Unfortunately, some people didn't do that with the Schofield Reference Bible. They seem to look on the study notes as, as, as inspired as the text. And in those study notes, there was something what we call dispensationalism. Dispensationalism divides God's work up in history. There was a time of law, there was a time of, of grace, and so on and so forth. And out of this teaching came the distinction between Israel and the church. So when you hear a lot of discussion about the importance of sending money to the nation of Israel, I'm talking in Christian churches now, and rebuilding the temple, and having sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem, maybe kicking those Muslims out from the Temple Mount, and because that was the place where Abraham sacrificed and so on, then it's all wrapped up in this dispensationalism teaching. And out of this has emerged this teaching on the secret rapture. Now, you and I may not know all the historical facts on these things, though I'm sure we can, if we're interested enough, we can find out information. In fact, in our church library, we have some books by a man called Froome, green books, that are just packed with some really interesting information that can give you the development of some of these teachings. Now, there's probably very few people in this room this morning that are interested, overly interested in the historical development of these, uh, what I consider wrong ideas. 
it is good to know at least something of the origin of these teachings. And by the way, these men were British, so watch out for these Brits. They can lead you astray if you're not careful. But we do have material in our library that is going to be incredibly helpful if you want to go deeper into these dispensationalism and the, some of these uh, teachings that are out there. I'm not sure how many Christians it affects, but I know that if million buy ha million of people buy Hal Lindsey's books and many mil million buy Tim LaHaye literature, plus go to his, the movie, then it must be affecting a lot of Christians. And when Harold Camping makes his, his prophetic announcements uh, that, that next Sabbath, May 21, uh, those who are genuinely gods will be secretly raptured away. And when it's in the national media, and when you meet people on the streets of Sacramento, as I have done, and see them touring the nation, then it seems that a preacher needs to address some of these things. We know that the teaching of the second coming of Jesus is all over the New Testament. It is a big teaching. Some say it's in every 25th verse of the New Testament. I don't know if that's correct or not. But I do know this, that this text says, gives us a very different picture of the coming of Jesus than something that is secret. No, we will see, we will hear, the wicked who are, who are going to be left behind mourn. So it's not something that's done in a corner, so to speak. Now, what about these dates, setting dates, and, and so on and so forth? Well, chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, deals with that. So let's go carry on. Don't know if this is a good chapter division or not. Probably not, but chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Now, Jesus has addressed that issue. Wherever you have preachers, teachers, who are saying on this date such and such a thing will happen, always be cautious there. Date setting is usually wrong. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord, another phrase for the second coming of Jesus Christ, will come like a thief in the night. So is this suggesting a secret rapture? The idea of a thief coming in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Who will, who will not escape? Who's going to be judged negatively at the second coming of Jesus? It's the unrighteous, it's the wicked who will not escape. Now, this coming like a thief in the night, well, if you've read Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, you need to read them together, you know that this unexpectedness is, is strongly emphasized. Uh, I've just come back from England, as some of you know, and we had um, somebody very close to the family who had a car that a thief had their eye on. You don't have nice cars like that, do you? It's best to have all junky stuff so that no one gets envious of your car. 
So anyway, somebody was, somebody was eyeballing, targeting that car. And so they broke into the house at night. So the owners of the house, the owners of the car, they're asleep. They're in bed asleep. And the thieves break in, and lo and behold, Eureka, what do they find in the kitchen? Cockies. Uh-oh. Mistake number one. And so some, one of these thieves, I think there were three of them, one of these thieves was brave enough to break in, climb in through a small space, find the car keys, go out the front door where the car was. That meant they had to unlock the door while everyone's sleeping. Pretty brave thief, don't you think? And then steal that car. Now, were the owners of the car expecting a thief? No. And, if, and they would never would have left their keys, their car keys, in the kitchen if they would have thought that a thief would break in that night. So this idea of unexpected is there, but it seems to me the unexpected is more for the wicked than it is for the righteous. Because the righteous are not to be surprised by these things. Aren't we supposed to be looking for signs of the return of Jesus Christ. When you go through Matthew 24, that's strongly emphasized, uh, likening fruit on a tree or buds on a tree to the coming uh, of the Son of Man, the day of the Lord in Scripture. And so in chapter 5 here, as we just uh, wrap this up, verse 4, but you brothers are not in darkness, at least not as ignorant as the wicked, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You shouldn't be surprised because Jesus has given lots of information about when he's coming back. Not that we know the day and the hour and not that we can tell people the day and the hour, but we should be on our tiptoes looking at the signs, interpreting the times and saying our Lord will be here soon. But you are all sons of the light and sons of the day and we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. I know that there's a tendency in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I mean, it's, it's even in our name, Seventh-day Adventist. Do you ever explain to people what that name means? Seventh day refers to what? The commandment, the fourth commandment, lays a special emphasis on the importance of the fourth commandment keeping God's Ten Commandment laws. But what about Adventist? It's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the day of the Lord, talking about the greatest cataclysmic event in human history. The Bible writers stretch struggle to find the language to express. How do you express the inexpressible? 
For us, we call it the blessed hope. It's like Jesus finishing his salvation work, in a sense, isn't it? Because then he gives us a glorified body. Our body is changed. We spent some time this morning talking about the frailty of David's body, the frailty of David's mind. So many of us can relate to his mistakes, to his sins. The glorious second coming of Jesus gives us a body like Christ's glorious body. There will be a rapture. Do Seventh-day Adventists believe in the rapture? What would you answer? Yes, we believe in a rapture. We will believe that we believe that we are snatched up as the living uh, new, new uh, international Bible has it. Uh, and I'm sure there are other translations that are, are very appropriate too. But we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But there's going to be nothing secretive about that. Though many, the majority perhaps, it will be unexpected. Another dangerous teaching tied in with this, this whole dispensationalist scenario is that people will have a second chance. So just be aware of that. It's not something that we can bury our heads under. We have to confront some of these false, false teaching. And the New Testament does not teach a second and chance. What Adventist belief fits in very well here, we believe that there's a judgment work going on in heaven now. Now, there are different phases of the judgment, right? So when Jesus comes back, that's a certain phase of judgment. It is a judgment day. Judgment in favor of God's people and against the non-believer, right? So we're, we're pretty clear on that. But there's other phases of judgment. And the investigative judgment or the pre-advent judgment, the fact that Christ is our high priest in heaven now, is also spoken of in Adventist language in terms of judgment. When Christ comes back, it's like the universe will be settled. At least the unfallen universe will be settled. Who is safe to save? And the ones who are safe to save are not the goody-two-shoes Seventh-day Adventists. The ones who are safe to save are those who are covered with the blood of Christ. The ones who keep the commandments of God and have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you and I will spend a thousand years, whether that be literal or symbolic, a thousand years, Adventists interpret that in a literal way, uh, again involved in a work of judgment, at least seeing that God is totally fair, God is totally just in his decision-making. Let's thank God for such, in my mind, such a clear teaching in Scripture on how the Lord Jesus Christ, that the emphasis is more on the how and the importance of this event than it is on the when. And the when is always in terms of urgency. It's never spoken, my Lord delays his coming. God has his timetable. He's working according to his timetable. And you and I have to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and ready at any moment. If the soldier goes asleep on duty in the first century at least, he would be executed. So let's stay awake. 
and be ready and waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your goodness and your love towards us. May we be encouraged, Lord. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote these words, to encourage us. None of us have to be lost. None of us have to be left behind. And we pray, Lord, that um, as there will be a great disappointment for many uh, next Sabbath, we pray, Lord, that somehow, some way, you will be able to reach those um, deceived believers, Lord, and bring them to a correct understanding of truth. Help us to share good, the good news of Jesus' return to those that will listen. We thank you for your goodness and love. In Jesus' name, amen.